In the next few Sundays, uh, it's February. I don't know if you men know, or you ladies know for that matter, or you kids know that this week is Valentine's Day, and um, it's, it's a month. I'm not sure why it's in February. I guess we need, the card industry needs a holiday too besides Christmas. Uh, so uh, this is a very special week. Uh, speaking about love, uh, we will deal with that in the next few, uh, in the next few Sundays. We'll talk about Christ's love for us and Christ's love in us and Christ's love through us. Amen. Um, I'm amazed at how powerful and impactful and life-changing the love of God is. Uh, The Lord's been dealing with me lately about His love in me. I want to love the way He loves I want to recognize that God's children stand before me today, but the rest of God's children just aren't here yet. That God's children doesn't mean we're all in the same church. There are people outside these doors today that are made in the image and the likeness of God, and He loves them today. They may have never prayed a prayer or even know His name, but His love is upon them today. I'm thankful for that. I don't want to ever lose my sensitivity to the love of God. And uh, what, I'm, uh, what I'm going to say to you today uh, came out of a prayer meeting where the Holy Spirit, I was reading a number of verses and just fellowshipping with God in prayer and in the Word. And I came across the passage where the Word declares that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And as I was reading that verse the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said you don't need the manifestation of the Holy Ghost to be judgmental you can be judgmental by yourself you need my spirit so that you can love the way you're supposed to love it doesn't take the Holy Ghost for me to be bitter or angry or judgmental it takes the Holy Ghost for me to love and I want to love the way he loves me So I begin today in Romans chapter 5, and I just realized that I didn't give the computer people the uh, scriptures that I was going to use. I apologize Uh, just now. There it is. You forgot to give them your verses. (laughs) But I think they're quick enough back there, these young folks, these young whippersnappers. Somebody say amen. It's good to have Sister Kelly here today with us. We've already welcomed her, but we'll do that again. Amen. So honored to have all of you today. Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God loved us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. I would like to say to you today, there's probably some, maybe more than one would come to your mind right now and you would say, I wouldn't die for that person. I wouldn't die for that person. For a good man, you would die. For a perfect man, you would die but there may be somebody that you would say I wouldn't die for them but I want to tell you Jesus died for all of us when we were not worthy of that death and for that I am thankful let's lift our hands and love the Lord today thank you Lord for your blessings God and your goodness to us the privilege we have Lord to be here today I pray you would touch us move in us have your way in us Lord Oh, Lord, help us, God, today as a church, as a body, 
In Jesus' name, we praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Now turn to your neighbor and look them right in the eye and say, you're going to need this message. I want to preach today of Christ's love for us. Christ's love for us. God bless you. You can be seated. We're going to uh, endeavor today to, uh, to preach to you about the greatest thing that I could ever preach about. And that's the love of God for us as human beings, as his creation. He loves us. And uh, that love motivates me to want to love him back and serve him. I'm also thankful for the love of God that is in us. And we'll deal more with that next Sunday. The Holy Ghost is in us. And the word of God is in us. And so the love that Christ gave for us is not only for us, it is in us. And then not only is it in us, it can operate through us. I said it can operate through us. By this one thing, all men can know that we are Jesus' disciples. I want to be his disciples. Somebody say amen. Now love, let's talk about it for a minute. Love is defined as an intense affection. For another person based on whether it's a family or a personal tie. Love is also a strong affection or attachment for another person based on regard or maybe even shared experiences or interests. God's love or God's benevolence, God's mercy toward mankind is another description of love. It is also described as man's devotion or adoration to God. Uh, It's also described as man's devotion to a brotherhood, uh, one another. And uh, there are synonyms of the word love. The following words could be synonyms, which would be affection or devotion, fondness, or maybe uh, children and young people would experience infatuation. Those are synonyms of love. The word love and its synonyms refer to various feelings. Everybody say feelings. We love that song around here. And uh, uh, Barbara Streisand made it so famous. And uh, we want to make it the theme song of our Christian walk, don't we? Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. We We really want to be judged by our feelings. We want to make decisions by our feelings. We want to live by our feelings, don't we? How miserable that kind of existence would be now. Could I get an amen? Uh, Feelings are very important. Feelings are are very real. Uh, But the word love and the synonyms, when you start trying to define love, it really refers to feelings. Everybody say feelings. When I think of the term feelings, I'm reminded of when I moved here to Salem in 19, um, what was it, Uh, 92. Yes, it was 92. Amen. That was a long time ago. Man, those were good years, weren't they? 90s. Wow. Uh, So uh, we've lived here quite a long time, but in 92 when I moved here, uh, it wasn't very long after that, I, I started taking flying lessons and I enjoyed that. It was a hobby at that time. Uh, it's gotten a little more expensive than it was back then, so I had to find me another hobby. <laughs> Doesn't take that much money to fish, amen. But anyway, uh, I remember uh, taking flying lessons, and I remember uh, one of those lessons, uh, they were going to try to simulate what they called spatial disorientation. And spatial disorientation was actually, they tried to simulate the feeling of being disoriented in reference to the outside uh, horizon or references that you have outside the cockpit. You actually get disoriented in space because you don't know uh, what's up, what's down, where the horizon is. And, And that usually happens in weather situations where you don't have any outside reference. Uh, You start having certain feelings. And so to simulate this, what they call spatial disorientation, it's actually what the NTSB said that Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, why he flew his plane at uh, top-notch speed, uh, never slowing down, flew right into the ocean because he was spatially disoriented. 
but they try to simulate that by putting a hood over your face. You look down, you don't see anything. Uh, and, and they begin to maneuver the plane. They take it in through all kind of maneuvers. And most, a sudden movement without outside reference can cause you to start getting disoriented, uh, your equilibrium. And so they try to simulate that. And the instructor will put the plane in all kind of attitudes and and uh, you start, at first you know what they're doing, you feel it. And then as they continue to do that, they'll go up and down, turn back and forth, you hear the engine rev, you hear it slow down, you know they're ascending or descending. But eventually you start losing the ability to correctly feel what's going on. You feel G for, the forces of the turns or the ascend or the descent on your body, but you do not have the ability to, to decipher which way the plane is going. And then what they'll do is they'll have you look up at the instruments. You still cannot see the exterior, what's outside. They'll have you look up, and you have to immediately take control of the airplane, and by reference to the instruments, you have to correct whatever position the instructors put the plane in. And so you try to correct it, uh, whatever the attitude the plane might be in. So... Uh, I went through that experience, and the instructor said, okay, the plane's yours, and I looked up and grabbed the yoke, and I leveled that plane out, and I remember the feeling immediately. When I got that plane straight and level, I remember the intense feeling that I was turning in a, in a severe right bend. In fact, if I could describe it, it, it would be in terms of like a 30-degree turn to the right. And uh, so, But the instruments weren't saying that, and I kept trying to uh, moved to the left, and obviously the instrument started confusing me because my feelings were screaming at me, and the instruments were doing something opposite of what my feelings were doing, and the more I tried to correct for what I was feeling, the more confused I got. And the instructor uh, finally asked, uh, Calvin, what are you doing? And I said, I I'm, I'm feel like I'm in a 30-degree right turn. And uh, the instructor didn't say anything, and I kept trying, or she said, actually, what do the instruments say? And I say, the instruments say I'm straight and level. And so she didn't say anything, and I kept trying to turn to the left. This happened three times. Finally, after she asked me the third time, uh, I said, I feel like I'm in a right turn, a 30-degree turn to the right. She said, she said, Calvin, I'm going to tell you this once, because if you don't change what you're feeling you're going to fly this plane into the ground. She said, you have to make whatever you're feeling match those instruments because those instruments are right. Your feelings are not right. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, try leaning over on the door over there and just fly leaning over for a little while. Keep it straight and level and just lean over. And so I leaned over, and somewhere in that process of that, it probably was under a minute Everything in my system, and obviously we're not going to go into all of that, what makes me feel certain things about my equilibrium. Uh, all of a sudden that leveled out, and she said, okay, sit back up real slow, and then everything matched. And I wanted to say to you today in this congregation, there are, that when we think about love and affection and devotion, those are really tied to feelings. But your feelings are not always right. And it can be quite confusing because it's just like sitting in an airplane and you're correcting for your feelings. But when you do that, it looks like the very opposite is happening. And so you get confused. And here's what it looks like spiritually. Your feelings are so strong and you begin to trust them. But when you read the Bible, it looks like the correction you're trying to make just further confuses you. So what we do is instead of disregarding our feelings and trusting the instrument, we, we think the instrument is what is confusing us. So we disregard the instruments and that how, is how your life uh, can end in a tragedy or in the experience of a tragedy. I want to tell you today, the Lord loves me whether I feel it or not. Well, come on, clap your hands under. This is why I, I, don't, I don't know. I guess I'm asking God to give me more patience. But 
I don't have much patience for people to say, well, I don't, I don't feel anything, so I'm not, you know, I'm not doing anything because I don't feel anything. Well, since when did feeling have to the judgment or the final say in everything we did? I thought faith was what this walk with God was all about. That's what I thought. I didn't think God was pleased with when I felt like worshiping and I worshiped him. I thought that he was pleased when I didn't feel like worshiping and I got up and worshiped him anyway. I felt like it pleased God when I didn't feel like getting out of bed because I was so depressed, but I swung my feet off of the bed and I said, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice. Somewhere I've got to say, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to rejoice anyway. Come on, clap your hands. I'm going to be there anyway. I'm dedicated anyway. I'm serving him anyway. Oh, praise him right now. Come on. Feelings. Feelings. We ought to just sing it for a while. Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. Trying to forget my feelings of love. Feelings. Love suggests a feeling feeling but love's more than a feeling that's another song we probably shouldn't sing either Uh, feelings can change affection is let's say that would be more changeable how many's ever bought something you just couldn't live without it when you got it home you had buyer's remorse hopefully you didn't experience buyer's remorse after your wedding ceremony or anything Can I get an amen? Infatuation can be a feeling that changes quickly. Devotion or dedication. Now we start, when you start talking about devotion, you start talking about an attachment that goes deeper than feelings. Devoted. Dedicated. I've sat with married couples in my office that were struggling with feelings. I told him about my grandfather who, uh, my, my grandmother was standing in the lobby of the church on a Sunday, Sunday morning and uh, she was young. She was in her 30s and my dad was very young. Her body had been depleted from all the calcium when my dad was born, all her calcium, they didn't know it. Uh, they would find out on this day though because the little child's running through the foyer and my grandmother just turns to kind of dodge the little boy running through the lobby and both both her hips snapped completely in two just by turning on her feet and she crumbled in the floor and from that day to the day she left this world she was in a wheelchair. If she ever went anywhere my granddad would have to carry her, pick pick her up in his arms. I remember him carrying her on pillows and putting her in the car and she sat on about three pillows in the car and it was dangerous for her to ride around and you know they they began to sleep in different uh, separate beds in the same room and I uh, he'd get frustrated with her because she, from that wheelchair, she ruled the world. She sat on the checkbook. I don't think I have to say anything else. She kept the checkbook under her in the wheelchair. This is why when me and Cheryl would go visit and, and, and Paul would say, Grandmother, me and Calvin's going to go ranch, go get some donuts for breakfast tomorrow. And, and uh, we'd get two dozen of those hot uh, southern made donuts, big old boxes of them, and we'd eat a whole box on the way home. And then we'd eat one or two out of the new other box so she would think we didn't eat any. We'd throw the empty box away and she'd never know that we ate a dozen and we ate about 14 donuts on the way home. <laughs> Me and Paul could put away some donuts, I'm telling you. I think Paul died with shook donut sugar around his mouth. But grandmother ruled the world sitting on that checkbook. She wouldn't let him write a check unless she approved it and pulled it out. She actually had to write it and sign it and then give it to him. He had to know how much it was going to be before she let him go to the store. But I watched his devotion to her. I, wa- I watched, uh, I've told people I, the physical part of their relationship in their 30s was probably pretty minuscule. There wasn't much left except devotion commitment to one another dedicated and I watched him 
carry her around on pillows and his back got weary from putting that old wheelchair heavy old wheel they don't make them like they used to putting that thing in the back of that big old Chrysler and pulling it out and rolling her into church and rolling her back out and picking her up putting her in the car it was this every every day every day I'm not I'm not talking about a feeling now I'm talking about devotion I want to love the Lord not just because I feel certain things. I'm, I'm devoted. I'm dedicated because of his devotion for me. Human beings, though, in this day and age are desperate for love. Desperate. Desperate for love. Men and women search for personal interaction. I mean, just match. Uh, what's the other one uh, that has the high percent? Uh, anyway, all those social media platforms where you can find your you're mate for life. I mean, it's just a couple, you're a couple of clicks away from love and happiness. They talk and sing about love. They think about love. Bookstores are full of romance fiction and romance nonfiction and uh, the real story. And, and small wonder then that the world's best-selling book, what is the world's best-selling book? It's right up here. It just happens to be a love story. It happens to be a love story. From cover to cover, it reveals the passion and the loves that impacted the ancient world. It reveals the passion and loves that impact our world today. But the Bible goes further than only depicting a human love. It also describes the story of God's love and devotion for humanity. His dedication to us, his creature. From its pages comes the full revelation of how the Almighty chose to reveal his love to us as human beings. As the recipients of that, as the people that have been loved by God, how privileged we ought to feel today. You're going to need this message. How, How privileged you ought to feel that God loves you Uh, we become partakers scripture says of a divine mystery of how wonderful his love is how unexplainable how mysterious it is I'm searching for words today to even describe it it's overwhelming I'm thankful for his love for us today. Would you just lift your hands and love the Lord right now in this place and begin to ask him to help you comprehend what is the height and depth and breadth and length of his love for us. Come on. Would you lift up your voice and say, Lord, help me right now to come to some awareness of how much you love me. How much you love me. I will say to you, I know uh, in our society and in our culture today, uh, love is distorted. Love can be distorted. Amen. Somebody say amen. And when that happens, when love can be distorted or even demonized, or not so much demonized, but even perverted, love can be perverted. And, uh, and when that happens in the individual uh, uh, you know, there are ways that if we're not careful, we don't love one another the way we're supposed to love one another. And it has to do, it, it deals with a sense of our identity. We don't realize it, how powerful love is in our life, that it really sets us on a course, uh, a correct course or an incorrect course. It has a lot to do with our personal identity. You start studying what happens uh, in, in a child when they experience neglect. You start studying what happens in a child when they experience abuse. You start studying what happens in a child when they even just go through a divorce, which is very prevalent in our world today. It strikes at the very identity of that child. They're looking for someone to love. There are people sitting here today that are not quite sure that the Lord loves them. You say, well, I'm, uh, I think I'm sure. Well, you know, maybe the signs in your life aren't saying that you're real sure because you seem to be having an identity crisis. You don't really know 
who you are. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing with your life. You live with all these questions and confusion. It's prime uh, symptoms of someone that's dealing with an identity crisis. I'm here to tell you today emphatically that the Lord is a cure for that. And you think, oh, well, you think Jesus is the answer for everything. No, I want to tell you what is the answer for love. Even the, psych, the world of psychology will tell you that if that child doesn't experience neglect, then they're more, they're, they're more at ease with who they are. Hey, you have an identity in Jesus. He wants you to have it. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. He wants you to know it. And I know we're aware of his love during times of worship. Thank you, choir and worship team. We have feelings in this environment. We experience love for each other. We, we're not perfect, but we have, we have chosen to make an effort to follow the Lord. But I believe with all my heart that the love of Christ is still not as prevalent in our lives as it should be. Amen. And so this is the journey we'll go on in the next few weeks. Perhaps it because, it's because we often tend to think of love in abstract terms rather than reality. Reality. An article in Christianity Today mentioned that an American financier and philanthropist, John M. Templeton, a United Presbyterian elder, felt so strongly about humanity's need to know God's love. Now listen to this. If you think you can win this award, I want you to go after it because I don't know if it's ever been won. He felt so strongly about humanity's need to know God's love that he created the equivalent of the Nobel Prize for religion. Now listen to this. It's worth $4 million annually. It would be awarded to the person of any faith who is instrumental in widening man's knowledge of the love of God. I don't know if that's possible. I said I don't know if that's possible. In fact, when Paul began to deal with God's love for us, he dealt with it in a term of a rhetorical question. And oh, to know the love of Christ. Passes knowledge and understanding. I wish I could grasp it. Somebody say amen. I hasten. I hurry. Uh, I probably need to stop, but I'm going to keep going. Is that all right? I want to talk about his love for us. Show me all the parts of you. I believe this may be what the Lord wants to say to us. Show me all the parts of you that you do not love so I will know where to begin. The writer said it this way in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. I I don't know about you but. I hope I can't ever preach about the love of God without it welling up in me. I want to be able to. Let it move me to emotion. I don't want to ever get so callous that the love of God becomes something that I can uh, quickly walk away from. In fact, Martin Luther, when he read John 3.16, he called John 3.16 the heart of the Bible, the gospel in miniature, he said. Its message is so simple that a child can understand it. Yet it condenses the deep and marvelous truths of redemption into just a few poignant words. In fact, the great author, there are men of God that uh, study the writings of G. Campbell Morgan. They preach his messages. They preach his thoughts. He's a a great writer. But G. Campbell Morgan said that John 3.16 is a text that I have never attempted to preach on. Though I've gone around it and around it, he said, the reason I've never preached on John 3.16, it's too big. When I read it, there's nothing else to say. When I read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, there's nothing left to say. God 
loves you. I said, God loves you. If we only knew how to read it, he said, so as to produce a sense of it in the ears of people, there would be nothing to preach about. If we, G. Campbell Morgan said, if I knew how to read it right, then I wouldn't even have to say anything when I got done reading it because there would be nothing to preach about. In other words, he said, if I read John 3.16, it ought to fill the altar. It ought to make us all respond when we know that he loves us. Dr. Ralph M. Smith said, one of my minister friends has made more than 600 outlines of John 3.16, whose central truth is the immeasurable, unfathomable love of God for all mankind. Sister Sherry, you can start to the piano. If it takes you as long to get to it as it takes me to close. (laughs) But she'll be there quicker than I get to a close. But I'm closing. It's said that the young son of Bishop Berkeley once asked him a question. He said, Dad, what do the words cherubim and seraphim mean? The bishop took time to tell the little questionnaire that cherubim was a Hebrew word meaning knowledge. And the word seraphim was a Hebrew word that stood for flame. Flame. And he went on to explain to his little boy that it's commonly supposed that cherubims are angels that excel in knowledge. And seraphims are those that excel in love. To that, the little boy said to his dad, Then I hope that when I die, I will be a seraphim. I'd a lot rather love God than know everything. Oh, I feel that way today about his love for me. I'd much rather love him back than know everything there is to know. John 3.16 encapsulates the tremendous revelation of God's love for humanity. It gives me a unique perspective from which to view the greatest love story of the ages. There are two striking things in this text. Here they are. When God loves, He loves the world. When He gives, He gives His only Son. That's how much He loves you. So let me for just a few seconds now before we leave, try to describe for you what I feel I'll probably be incapable of doing, John 3.16. God loves, He loves the world. And when He gives, He gives His Son. Jesus Christ is the greatest example of what love is. The reality of Jesus' love was revealed in his life. He came to this world without seeking fame or men's acclaim. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to minister to the poor and the needy. He came to heal the brokenhearted, restore hope to the hopeless. Can I get an amen? Such compassion and love could only come from the loving nature of God. Amen. For First John tells us God is what He is. He is love. He is love personified. Somebody say amen. The mission of His love is to provide me what I could not provide for myself. And that is the salvation of my soul. He loves us. And let me try to describe it for you. We have people here today with newborns. Let me, let me describe it this way. Think about a dad with a newborn or a, a very young child. Nothing compares to the feeling of holding your baby, right? In my case, it was, it was two babies. Nothing compared to that feeling. I remember... Looking up one day and saying, Cheryl, do you realize I've been in this same chair for two days? 
obviously wasn't 53. Because at 53, I'm either in the bathroom or looking for a bathroom. (laughs) Can I get a witness? I've been in this chair two days. I remember holding those babies in the middle of the night. They couldn't sleep and I'd be whistling, Jesus loves me. This I know. It seemed to work. I found out yesterday it was just me mirroring emotion. I was mirroring calmness to them and they just lapped it up. But deep down in my heart, I know that in those moments, those two little newborn babies, they didn't love me. I want you to think about it. They are the center of the world. When they poop, they let you know about it. When they're hungry, they let you know about it. When they're sick, they let you know about it. When they got gas, they let you know about it. Everything revolves around them. And let me give you an example of that. When my girls were newborns and I was stumbling around the living room in the dark whistling, Jesus loves me. If my heart was breaking... They would never know it. It wouldn't wake them up. If my body is racked with pain and there were times where I whistled them to sleep when I was actually sick, they'd never know it. In fact, in fact, let me say this. Those little newborn babies, if I had died, they would have forgotten me in a few days. That's the truth. When they got older, they may have wanted people to tell them what was my daddy like, but they wouldn't remember. In fact, when they were babies, they never brought me a penny. In fact, they were a huge expense. But I want to tell you, there's not enough money in the world to buy my baby. How is that? Is it because... She loves me. Oh no. It's because I love her. And I want you to hear me today and hear me well. The Lord is not here to love you because you love Him back. You have been going your own way for a long time. He's here today because He loves you. Oh, I wish somebody was hearing what I was saying this morning. Come on, would you love the Lord just for a minute? Let me ask you something. Did I not love my children because until... They loved me back. Oh no, I loved them when they didn't even know what love was. I protected them when they didn't even have the ability to say thank you, Dad. I watched over them when they didn't have one ounce of gratitude. Why? Because I loved them. And I want to tell you that's exactly why you're still sucking air this morning. It's because God loves you. I wish I had the words to say it. In fact, in In fact, if we were going on your performance, God should have already killed you. But he loves you. And God is a just God. But I want to tell you there's somebody pleading for you every moment of the day. It is the blood of Christ making intercession for you. I don't know why in the world someone would sit in his presence And say, no, thank you. I'm going to do my own thing. You live and move and have your being in Him. He loves you today.
Am I waiting for my baby to do something worthy? Oh no. I love her when she's unworthy. March down through the prison and lift up your little proud nose all you care to and say in your pharisaical heart, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. But don't you ever forget that somebody's son, that somebody's daughter. That's not embarrassed to spend dollars to drive hundreds of miles to walk in that jail for one hour visit with their child. God didn't wait on you either to do anything worthy. He loved you when you were a sinner. Oh, I think we ought to reach out to him for a minute. Come on, I think it ought to rise up in you right now and give him a thanksgiving offering for his love for you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Why why are you halting? Why are you confused? He loves you. He loves you. Thank you, Jesus. John, John 15 and 12. I'm closing. <laughs> Thank you, Sherry, for helping me today. John 15 and 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I. You know, I, I think it would have been all right if he had left those last five words out of there. Lord, why can't you just say, I command you to love one another. But here's the part that is the lifelong challenge. Love one another as I have loved you, man. Love one another as I have loved you. Well, it's getting harder because the next verse, it doesn't get much easier. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus' death was the crowning achievement of God's display of love to this world. And I don't want you to forget it. Jesus on that cross was the ultimate sacrifice ever made on behalf of humanity. It was actually Jesus in my place. In full view for all to see, for everyone to be without excuse, He shows us what we all look like when sin is finished. Oh God. Do you see Him? Bruised, beaten, spit upon, swollen, bleeding, broken. Do you see him? That's you when sin is finished. I'm hoping you pray God show you his love because I can't hardly get through it. Not only do you see yourself there, I want you to see the final effect of sin. And you think, well, whoop de doo I'm going to die someday anyway. That's not the point. The point is, the only thing on the cross Jesus screamed about. He didn't say a word when they drove those nails in his hands. He didn't say a word when they whipped him with 39 stripes. But I want to tell you what he is screaming about. In fact, the writer, all the gospel writers all agree. He said with a loud voice, My God, why am I forsaken? Anybody hearing me today? I want to tell you what you have just heard. The cry that will come out of the lake of fire for an eternity. 
Why am I forsaken? You have never been outside of the presence of God in your life. You have never walked away from His love, His grace, and His mercy. But Calvary shows you the end of sin and you will be forsaken. Now I want to tell you that's hell worse than fire right there. Somebody said, oh, preach to me. Hell, preacher, and I'll come to the altar. No, if you can't look at the cross, there ain't no hell going to change you. That's hell in full view right there. Your life broken, busted, bleeding, forsaken. He tasted sin for me. I want you to think about it for a minute. I am body, soul, and spirit. This means that only you only see one-third of what truly the person I am. One-third. Two-thirds of the person I am you never see. So you know what? On the cross, we see the full details, visible and invisible. The physical and spiritual effects of sin right there before us. I want to ask you, does that make you desperate? It does me. And then I hear him say, love others like I have loved you. Okay, I'll I'll try, Lord. But I'm sure going to need to pray through every day to do it. Give me another touch of the Holy Ghost, Lord. I've got to love like you loved me. And I am closing. I think <laughs> I got to let everybody get out of the restaurant before I close. Not only does he love us in the way that he gave his life for us, he loves us in his promise that he said. I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back for you. As the world and social conditions begin to deteriorate, it's reassuring to know that Jesus will soon come again. In fact, I told somebody this morning, I said, I got a word of comfort for you. And they said, oh, I really need it. What is that word of comfort? I said, Jesus It's coming soon. Scripture says, use that to comfort one another. I want to tell you, why don't you comfort somebody beside you? Tell them Jesus is coming soon. Oh, clap your hands right now and praise Him. I just realized there's one or two things going on here. I've either got too much nose or not enough handkerchief. Could be both. Something I believe, and I'll say this just once and move on because I don't have time, but something has to happen in us to get us to the point where we begin to groan. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. John 14, 1, my mother's, one of her favorite verses. John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, for you. Everybody say, for me. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. It is his love for us that will cause him to come back. Because he's coming back to take us to where he is. We are to comfort one another with these words. We are to let each other know. 
periodically. This event will happen very soon. And this event will happen very quickly. You need to be ready. I close with this illustration. I read about a farmer. Excuse me. I read about a a farmer who painted on his windmill. He had a big windmill standing out in the in the field, and he painted on the end on the backside or the weather vane there. He painted on it, "God is love." He'd go out every day and look at that the tail of that windmill, and it, "God is love." And one day, his buddy drove up, pulled over in the road, and turned his truck off. And they were standing there talking. His friend noticed his windmill, and he said, "Oh, hey, God." I like what you painted on your windmill there. God is love. That's kind of interesting. Old farmer said, yeah, I just want everybody to know God is love. His buddy said, you know, that's pretty interesting because, you know, tomorrow you may get up and that windmill's blowing some other, you know, what, what, what does that mean? Like God's fickle. One day his love's blowing that way and the next day his love's blowing that way. That's pretty funny, farmer. Farmer said, oh, oh, no, that's not what it means. You know what it says to me? It says to me that no matter which way the wind may blow, God's love is always the same. I want you to stand and I want you to express your love some way to him right now. Would you do that as we... As we endeavor to close this service, our singers are coming. I just want you to love him back some way now. I want you to thank him for for giving his life for you. Jesus, giving his life for you on Calvary's cross. Would you love him right now? Come on. You know what, I also feel this would be a good day for somebody to repent and say, Lord, I've been pretty self-centered. I've been pretty eat up with myself and I, I just want to come and say, I'm sorry. I haven't loved you the way I ought to and I want to do that today. Come on. Anybody interested in doing that? Anybody interested in saying, Lord, I want to bring my heart humbly to you today and love you back. I want to love you better. I want to love you more. Is there anybody? The altar's open. The altar's open for somebody, anybody. It's begging for you. It's looking for a response. This altar's here because it engenders a response. Come on right now from all over the building. If God's calling you, would you come? Lord, I want to love you better. Hallelujah. Come on. Oh, somebody may want to come say, Lord, I've been going the wrong way and I want to repent this morning. Today's the day to get my sin covered. Today's the day to make it right. Come on. Come on. Come on. You've been by.